Hello and thanks for joining us once again for the Inspire, Create and Shine podcast, where we discuss life, love, literature and the arts from a Christian perspective. This is your host, Melanie D from MelanieDTheAuthor.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. Hey, y'all. So it's Black History Month and Love Month all wrapped up into one. Um, And it's even more exciting to know that this year is a leap year, if you're not already aware. Most of us are already aware. So, yeah, there's an additional day added to the end of this month, February 29th, and it only comes around once every four years. I pray you all are continually being blessed and lifted by my content and that you'll continue to share it with others and help me to continue to spread the love. That's the mission. That's the goal. Okay, so as we all know, one of the major qualities of love is that it is truly sacrificial. It's generally not selfish, um, but it's mostly concerned with the well-being of others. So I wanted to do a podcast episode this month with a focus on um, a few notable African Americans who, in the spirit of love, um, are known and remembered for their selfless acts. Uh, selfless acts that left a lasting impression on black culture and on humanity in general. But before I go there, I want to reiterate last month. Last month, my focus was on the critically acclaimed TV series and film The Chosen, which I still highly recommend. Um, I hope you all got a chance to see the first three seasons that you can see on uh, Amazon Prime, as well as their app called The Chosen. And as I mentioned, um, in the last podcast episode season four of the chosen has been in theaters all month long this february at some point in the near future uh season four will start airing on their app as well the chosen app as well as amazon prime i just don't know exactly when i guess uh it's probably gonna be mid-march or something like that so again get it in y'all it's a must see Um, I will warn you though, if you haven't already started watching the first three seasons, it is rather slow moving at first. It moves kind of slow at the beginning um, in season one, but it gets better, it gets deeper, it gets more profound, it gets more interesting as you go through the seasons. Uh, It's definitely something to see, keep watching, share with your loved ones, all right? So as I said, I wanted to highlight a few notable African-Americans for uh, their selfless acts of love that have made um, an indelible mark on our society. If you know me by now, you should know that I love words, spoken word, written words, especially the word of God. So I like to use quotes um, as well by people of note, Um, or really anybody for real. It's people who, even people who aren't well known, if they say something uh, that caught my attention, it's powerful, thought provoking or profound, um, or something that might be helpful to know about them or something they're trying to share with us. So let me start first uh, with a few people. Um, I'm going to highlight, namely, Claudette Colvin, um, Charles Hamilton Houston, John Lewis, Amelia Boynton Robinson, and Ida B. Wells. So let's get into it. So who is uh, Claudette Colvin? She is noted to have said, if I had not made the first cry for freedom, there wouldn't have been a Rosa Parks. And after Rosa Parks, there wouldn't have been a Dr. King. 
She said, I knew then and I know now that when it comes to justice, there is no easy way to get it. You can't sugarcoat it. You have to take a stand and say, this is not right. So if you didn't already know, before Rosa Parks took her stand on the bus on that fateful day, December of 1955, I believe, and chose not to give up her seat to a, a white passenger, the civil rights movement would not have kicked off like it did with the bus boycotts in Montgomery, Alabama, but before Rosa Parks did what she did, and even before Claudette did what she did, people were already taking stands um, against uh, segregation systems that were set up. But notably, on this day, about nine months uh, before Rosa Parks, Rosa Parks took her stand, there was a young lady, 15-year-old teenager, by the name of Claudette Colvin. She did the exact same thing that Rosa did. But because of her situation at the time and because she was so young, they um, chose not to use her as the face of the civil rights uh, bus boycott movement. Also, there would have been controversy concerning her age and the fact that uh, not long after she did that, she became pregnant, a teen mother, an unwed teen mother at the time. And um, they just figured, even though they did the same thing, Rosa Parks was more fitting for this stance. Rosa Parks at the time when she did that was 42 years old. So look at the contrast. Claudette Coven was 15, uh, Rosa Parks was 42. So here's what happened. She was on the bus. Um, uh, she had just come from school, I believe high school. I forget the name of her high school right now. But she was coming home from her high school. And she gets on the bus and at the time there was segregated seating on the buses. So there was a white section in the front and then almost to the back, there was a colored section. And so she was sitting in the colored section when all of a sudden some white passengers board the bus. And um, the bus driver has the, the, had the right and the authority to make you get up if, you, if he thought um, there should be seating for the white passengers. So on this day he decided to do, do just that. He told them, y'all get up and move to the back. And um, so, this, so this white lady can sit down. It's a young white woman. And so there were some other people on the same row as Claudette. They chose to get up and go to the back. Claudette was determined, no, not today. She had just come from a class, she said, where uh, she was being taught about other um, African-Americans who had taken stands against the racial injustices and racial discrimination that was going on in the nation, uh, particularly Harriet Tubman and Sojourner Truth but she was just being told in great detail about the stance that those women took and the great changes that they brought about because of their stances. So she said when they told her to move, she said, I just couldn't move. History had me glued to the seat. She said it was, it was as if Harriet Tubman was holding her down on one side and so Jonah Truth was holding her down on another side and she just could not get up. She just refused to get up this time. And unlike Rosa Parks, who was very quiet and peaceful about the way she did it, um, this woman, on the other hand, this young lady, Claudette Cole, on the other hand, was more um, vocal about it and defiant about it, um, kind of irate about it. So that's why she said, if I hadn't made the first cry for freedom, the first cry, because it wasn't silent like Rosa's. Rosa had quiet strength, a quiet power about her. But Claudette was not quiet. She spoke up. Um, 
And, you know, a, a little known fact that people don't know is that Rosa Parks was actually this young lady's mentor. They were in the NAACP together. Uh, Rosa, I believe, was the secretary of the NAACP at the time, and, and um, Claudette Colvin was on the uh, NAACP Youth Council. So she was working alongside Rosa Parks, and Rosa Parks was schooling her basically on stuff like this. Now, what makes Claudette a hero? Because, as I said, there were other people before her. There was an Irene Morgan and there was a um, some other young women and even a, a man or two that took a similar stance in other cities and other states. But what made Claudette a hero? She lived in a segregated city. She knew the law said she was required to give up her seat if white passengers needed a seat on the bus. And she knew she could go to jail or be killed for her defiance. Yet she was standing on the same moral grounds as those two notable women she had just learned about in great detail in school that same day. And she had said before, even before this happened, she kept wondering why the adults in her area wouldn't just say something to let it be known that black people don't accept segregation. This is not right, we don't like this. And she just knew that she had to take a stand. So it was just timing. It was just the right time. It was just the timing. And she just could not sit down and allow them to make her move on the stage. She said if it had been an older person, a senior, she might would have gotten up. But this was a young lady, a young white woman. And she had, she, she, there was room on the seat, I'm sorry, on the aisle that she was on where she could have sat down. But according to law at that time, you weren't even allowed to sit on the same row as a white person. Like if they sat on that row, that was their row. So she's like, well, she can sit over there. And that's ridiculous, to, to be honest, um, that the other lady couldn't have just sat down on that row away across from her. It just was ridiculous and unfair, unfortunate. And so sometimes you just have to take a stand when there are wrongs before your eyes. And it's like if somebody doesn't um, take a stand, it's like, who will? If not you, then who? If not now, then when? So um, I applaud Claudette for being brave enough at such a young age. And even though Claudette's uh, story was very hush-hush um, at the time, and it went under the radar for a long time. Long time people didn't know who she was. Long time people didn't know that she had done the same thing Rosa had. And Rosa got national recognition when she took her stand, uh, largely because she was backed by the NAACP as the face of this movement. Um, she was a highly esteemed woman in society at the time. And she looked notably different from Claudette Colvin. Claudette Colvin was young, uh, dark-skinned, um, typical black person with uh, typical um, features. And Rosa Parks, on the other hand, was you know very fair-skinned, had beautiful long hair, was very poised and, and quiet and peaceful about the way she she went about doing um, taking the stand. So even though they both were escorted off, and uh, Claudette said somebody said that they yanked her off when she defied them. And Rosa, they just walked her off in handcuffs. You know, it wasn't it wasn't the same aggression apparently that they had done with uh, Claudette Colvin. So, again, for her youth, for her young age, for her boldness, um, for her willingness to to defy laws, even though it was the law, but for the sake of herself and her people, um, because she felt like the the adults weren't, didn't seem to be willing to make a stand in her area. They just like, she, she just couldn't understand why they weren't being more vocal and more, um, taking more action. She just had had enough and she just could not take it another day. And so I applaud her for that. Claudette Col Colvin for her selfless act. 
Claudette Colvin is still living today, by the way. I think she's 84 now. She did finally get um, uh, recognition, as she should have all those years ago. So that's nice to see that she was um, noted. And that's why we know about her story today. Uh, former Senator John Lewis and Amelia Boynton Robinson were instrumental in the um, in securing the voting rights for African Americans. Uh, they were part of the Selma um, demonstrations and Selma protests, um, and the march that took place across the I think Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma in 1965. Uh, there's a movie out called Selma. You can look at it and see the whole thing unfolding there. But John Lewis was amidst that crowd, and so was Amelia Boynton Robinson. So they had a similar path. Um, he walked very closely with Dr. King. Amelia Boynton Robinson was marching during that same demonstration, that fateful day when they were crossing the bridge the first time, and the police chose to stop them by force. And um, she chose to stand in the face of fear, in the face of um, law enforcement that could have literally killed her. So yeah, she laid unconscious, beaten, gassed, lying in the road. Um, white officers had beat her with billy clubs. She, she said, I don't care how many licks I got. It just made me even more determined to fight for our cause. So look at the brave black men and women who went before us willing to be beaten, willing to be some of them to risk their very lives and give their very lives for the sake of others because they know that somebody has to take a stand. Even if it means um, somebody being hurt, even if it meant prolonged time and effort and blood, sweat and tears day after day after day to get some kind of action. They just knew that they could not give up. Her name was Amelia Boynton Robinson. Um, they actually call her the matriarch of the voting rights movement. Uh, she had been fighting uh, for black voting rights um, before Selma's demonstrations. Uh, she was registering black voters in the state of Alabama, which she knows could have resulted in her death. Anyone who took a stand uh, doing something um, visibly and publicly and uh, uh, diligently and aggressively for the betterment of black people in any shape or form. If, 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 if white America or the Ku Klux Klan and those who were um, pushing Jim Crow, if they took note of you, they would definitely try to silence you, definitely try to get rid of you, definitely try to kill you. But she was determined, no, this is something that we must do. We must have a right to vote because they knew if we could vote, we could change some of the laws that were oppressing our people, that were stopping us to, from progressing. She actually became the first African-American woman to run for Congress in the state of Alabama as well, um, sometime in the 1960s. So again, Selma, the Selma protests and demonstrations, um, those demonstrations were like one of the last things that she did um, that actually so outraged black America and even some, some, some people in, in uh, other races as well when they saw um, 
how she was beaten. This is a woman on the ground, beaten and bruised on the ground at a peaceful protest by law enforcement, which is supposed to protect and serve the people, correct? And so they were so outraged at that, that it actually um, ended up being like the major catalyst uh, that helped kick off, further kick off the civil rights movement in that area for voting rights. So we got the bus boycotts with Rose and Claudette Colvin and others who came before them. And then you have um, uh, Amelia Boynton Robinson and John Lewis uh, over here with Dr. King and others, many others who were fighting for voting, voting rights in America as well. So listen, they were, they were hitting all the areas that mattered to black people. They knew our voices were powerful. They knew that our voices mattered. So they were trying to make it so that we had those, those rights. You know, something else that was beautiful of note about Amelia Boynton Robinson, unlike many um, of those who, who fought in the civil rights movement all those years ago, she actually lived to be 104 years old. So she didn't even die until 2015, just nine years ago, 2015. So she was blessed with many, many years. So I'm sure she lived through a lot of hard times and she saw a lot of the racism and, and discrimination that had gone on in America. So naturally, she would be fed up by the time of the 1965 um, Selma to Montgomery marches. At that time, she would have been around 50, 53, 54 years old. Let me say this too, though it was, um, though it was unheard of or not as common as we would have liked there were some African-Americans who, who were registered to vote, but their numbers were so small that it didn't make much impact when it was time for elections and things of that sort. So like even Amelia Boynton Robinson herself, she was registered to vote in 1934. Now fast forward to 1965 when they were doing the Selma to, Selma to Montgomery um, marches. Um, she was trying to get those rights, um, make those rights available for black people around, I mean, throughout the nation. And so with a little more effort in 1965, the voting rights was enacted. Okay, as I said, I also wanted to highlight um, Senator John Lewis, who also played a pivotal role in the Selma to Montgomery um, marches. He's noted to have said, you cannot be afraid to speak up and speak out for what you believe. You have to have courage, raw courage. He's also known for the, uh, the, the um, tagline, good trouble, necessary trouble, good trouble. Um, and, and he um, said that um, in reference to when he was participating in the bus boycotts um, uh, with the Freedom Riders, he figured um, some trouble is good trouble. And so even if you're stirring up things in society, for the, if it's for the betterment of society, for the betterment of a people um, overall, then he's like, okay, I need to get in some good trouble. So yeah, John Lewis was a civil rights activist. He also was a senator in the U.S. House of Representatives for the state of Georgia. Um, he was big on participating in uh, the sit-ins that occurred <clears throat> in the South. 
where they were trying to basically stand against segregation. Um, segregation of restaurants, segregating, segregation of buses, and all public places. So as I said, he participated in the Freedom Rides in which um, volunteers would ride the buses from state to state. I believe they started in DC and they went, they traveled down south um, from Washington, DC. There were 13 Freedom Riders, the original Freedom Riders, and he was one of those. Um, so yeah, it was a mix of blacks and whites that chose to do these Freedom Rides and they were basically testing some of the new legislation that had supposedly been passed that would allow black people the right to ride, ride the, the um, interstate buses. During some of the rides, and one that was notable, notably very um, traumatic for John Lewis, um, their bus was attacked by angry white mobs and he was beaten severely. Some of his other um, partners were beaten as well to the point of being unconscious. He, he described the attack as um, KKK um, members and other white um, people uh, uh, beating them with baseball bats, chains and lead pipes, stones, whatever they had available they used to attack these black and white um, riders because they knew what they were trying to do and they didn't want um, it, their, their project to be successful. But you know what, the amazing thing, like I said before, for people like John Lewis and some of the other people that I've already named, they were willing to literally lay their lives down. He knew the danger of doing these freedom rides. He knew the danger of the sit-ins that he participated in. He knew the danger of the march on Washington, the marches across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Montgomery. He knew about all of that. He knew the dangers, he could lose his life, but he was determined that no matter what they do to us, we will move forward, we will um, <clears throat> continue because justice is on the line. Our rights as a people is on the line. Our livelihood is on the line. And so he, got, he put himself, continued to put himself in, as he said, good trouble. Some people are ready to throw in the towel from the smallest um, assaults that are done to them. And so when you think about our ancestors and those who came before us, it's like, wow, they were made of some powerful, strong stuff. And that very blood runs through our veins. So um, we should be proud and very appreciative of the sacrifices that they made and continue to honor them as often as we can. But we should also use their example as something to um, motivate us to also take stands when necessary, to also continue the work that they did, to also, um, if, even if we're not getting as hands-on as they were, just in our um, sphere of influence and in the spaces that we occupy in life right now and the world, we should still make an effort to make the world a better place. And whatever that looks like to you, we all can make a difference. You can make a difference in your home, you can make a difference among your family, you can make a difference on your job, in your church, in your business, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your city, in your state. In your, in your country, you can make a difference, no matter how small, to whichever audience that you're speaking to, you can make a difference. So let me back, back up to um, John Lewis and his, his fight for the um, voting rights of African Americans in the South. He, as I mentioned, he uh, participated in the march 
across the Edmund Pettus Br Bridge in Selma with Dr. King, with um, Amelia Boynton Robinson, with Rosa Parks and a few others that are of note um, <clears throat> for the sake of our voting rights. Uh, John Lewis actually led the first march across that bridge where a lot of, of black people were injured and attacked <clears throat> by officers. Um, even though they were doing a peaceful protest, a peaceful march across or trying to cross the bridge, they never made it across in their first attempt. Um, but they were determined even after those attacks and a lot of people got injured, including Amelia Boynton Robinson, even though people were injured and even though people were, um, their feathers were ruffled behind that, they were determined not to let that deter them and they continued to pray and to forge on in a non-violent manner, in a peaceful manner. In a couple other attempts, I believe on the third attempt is when they were successful. And as a result of their efforts, just, that's just one of the efforts in a series of things that occurred um, among our people that helped to bring the Voting Rights Act of 1965 to pass. So just want to applaud them for their sacrificial, selfless acts. I also wanted to highlight that John Lewis not just, um, he didn't just participate in the, the bus boycotts, the um, voting uh, marches and the March on Washington and those types of things. Uh, he became senator to continue the fight in the political uh, system, <clears throat> in our government, because some things can over, only be overturned in the government of our nation. There are some laws that needed to be ratified. There are some things that can only be changed by getting, your, you know, rolling your sleeves up in within government and um, changing some laws that way. So his fight continued up to his death in, I believe, 2020. So he hasn't too long been gone. <clears throat> he is definitely an icon in the civil rights movement and we just wanna say thanks again. You know, I'm speaking about these people today um, to many of you who already are aware of <clears throat> a lot of the black history that occurred in the South, uh, not, not even a hundred years ago, um, where public places were segregated. People were getting lynched left and right. If you took a, a, a stand against discrimination, um, the killings, the senseless killings, and all the things that were occurring in the South, if you took a stand against those things, you were um, attacked, sometimes killed, sometimes lynched. Your family was threatened, your livelihood was threatened. You were in danger of harm or even death. Um, and so there are two other notable people that I got to mention here um, that really put a dent in the, this other beast called Jim Crow and just called racism. Um, Ida B. Wells made an impact, a huge impact on our knowledge and awareness of lynching against African Americans in the South. Uh, Charles Hamilton Houston is noted and called the man who killed Jim Crow. He's known as the man who killed Jim Crow because he worked tirelessly to rid our society of Jim Crow segregated society where we did not have equal treatment under the law, where we did not have equality in a number of, of areas, in the school systems, in employment, in health care, in voting rights, in 
public transportation and all those areas. He was a lawyer. He worked in the legal system feverishly to help black people to fight against this monster called Jim Crow. So he was, um, he was like a man ahead of his time. He was very, um, he was advanced in his schooling, so he graduated high school early. Um, he went on to Harvard Law School, uh, graduated uh, cum laude. I believe he was the valedictorian of his high school before he went to Harvard uh, University. Um, <clears throat> but even before he went to Harvard Law School, he entered, um, he joined the U.S. Army in, and he fought in World War One. At that time, as you know, the military was also racially segregated. So here he is fighting for a country that would not fight for him. And when he tried to speak up for his fellow man, his fellow African-American brothers who were being mistreated, um, this is what he had to say about how they responded and, and chastised him for doing so. He said, the hate and scorn showered on us Negro officers by our fellow Americans convinced me that there was no sense in my dying for a world ruled by them. I made up my mind that if I got through this war, I would study law and use my time fighting for men who could not strike back. So he wanted to fight for his fellow man. He was determined, I will not fight for a country that will not stand or fight for me. Because who wants to be in a war where you're fighting someone who's supposed to be a collective enemy when the people on either side of you that you're fighting with are actually also your personal enemy? What sense does that make? That is not productive at all. And he saw it for what it was. And so he decided he was going to fight for um, his fellow man African-Americans who would better appreciate his time, his efforts, and his sacrifice. So he wanted to be a lawyer, essentially. He wanted to work in the legal system to help overturn some of those laws that um, allowed segregation to thrive in the South. Um, he's, uh, Houston is well known for having trained and mentored a plethora of black attorneys, including Thurgood Marshall, um, as we know, he became the first black sup uh, Supreme Court justice in the United States. And um, he, he was just a beast. Hamilton was a beast. Uh, Charles Hamilton Houston was a beast as far as raising up others like himself who collectively fought the legal system and the judicial system um, that, and the legislation that upheld these, these horrible laws that were uh, discriminatory against African Americans. So. Um, so wherever he could make his mark, that's where he went. Any court cases where blacks were discriminated against, especially high profile ones, um, he went after those cases and he made a indelible mark. So Houston fought with Thurgood Marshall and other um, prominent black attorney, attorneys at the time, fought against um, segregation in the school systems and the housing um, sectors. Um, in colleges. And one of his major arguments was that if you want to keep us segregated, at least give black people um, places of employment and places of education that are equal in quality uh, as those of our white counterparts. And so he just drove that thing home that if you want us to be segregated, at least, at least make it equal. And so he figured if he, if he said that enough, 
they will be more likely to relent and just combine or just let us have a piece of theirs than to give us our own. And so eventually, um, you know, they won some cases, they lost some. Uh, before the Brown versus Board of Education case was won by Thurgood Marshall that desegregated um, public schools uh, came to pass. Houston passed away at the young age of 54, but his labor was not in vain. He had planted those seeds all over the South, and Thurgood Marshall, as I said, was one of his, um, like one of his prodigies, and someone who he mentored and helped to raise up to ultimately fight and bring about that, um, that great vic victory for African Americans. Last but not least, I wanted to highlight the amazing Ida B. Wells. Um, as I mentioned before, I believe I mentioned already, um, whenever you take a stand against injustices or, or did take uh, a stand against injustices in the racist South, um, American South, that, we, um, that was our past history in this country, you were targeted, you were threatened, your life was in danger. Um, and for some black people, they buckled under the pressure. For some, they cowered away at the, the stress, the pressure, the fear, and just the assaults, the constant assaults against their lives and the lives of their family. But there was a villain, I mean, there was a protagonist <laughs> in this story named Ida B. Wells. And this is, I'm saying a story as if this is a story, but this is really her life. She was determined that she would not allow the atrocities that she heard about, read about, saw, um, where blacks in the South were being lynched, um, sometimes for a crime that they committed, but oftentimes there was no crime involved. There was simply hatred and racism um, that they were experiencing. And just because of their color, just because someone didn't want them to advance, just because someone was jealous of something that they had or them trying to make progress um, in society, they chose to lynch them. And lynching was when they would have a public killing, humiliating um, style of killing, uh, oftentimes the Ku Klux Klan, um, or anyone really who decided that they wanted to lynch you, would often hang you up on a tree, create a noose and hang you. Some of their body parts were often cut off. Um, just utterly atrocious way to die, and oftentimes for no reason other than uh, you irritated a white person. You looked at them wrong. You said something wrong. You did something great or you were a threat. Ida B. Wells, she knew that the pen was mightier than the sword. So she began to write about these lynchings. She began to research, investigate, and write about them. And anyone who knows, especially today with social media, you know, social media can be a beast all its own in a negative or positive. But we all know that the media is powerful. We all know that the written word, spoken word, all that is powerful. Words are powerful. So Ida B. Wells understood that. Um, she knew that if she would tell, if she could get the message out to people and let them know what was really going on, let them know that these people were not always committing a crime. These people were just being abused, mistreated, um, discriminated against. 
she knew if she could get enough people to see this, to know this, to read about it, that this thing would change in our country. She was an investigative journalist, educator, and early leader in the civil rights movement. She was one of the founders of the NAACP, which stands for the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. She dedicated her entire career to combating prejudice and violence and advocating for African-American equality, especially that of women. So like I said, she documented lynching. She wrote articles, she wrote pamphlets, she wrote books. Just like the story with Emmett Till and how his mom wanted the world to know what they had done to her son, and she put it in the paper. She allowed them to take a picture of his brutalized body, even though it would shock the nation, it would turn some stomachs, and some people wouldn't be able to look at it. But she knew it had to be graphic enough to get their attention. In the same way that Emmett Till's mom sought to do that to him, 14-year-old, her 14-year-old son, killed mercilessly by a couple of white men who, whose wife, and I believe sister-in-law said that this young boy had offended her by whistling at her or flirting with her or something of that nature. It wasn't even proven. They went after him and, and brutalized his little body, killed him, 14-year-old little boy. Now here's a fact that a lot of people didn't know about Ida B. Wells. She was born into a family. Um, her mom, dad, and her little brother um, all died of yellow fever when she was just 14 years old. So that was a traumatic experience for her as a little girl. Same age that Emmett Till was killed, she lost her parents and her little brother. Um, <clears throat> now the good thing is that they didn't die because of some kind of uh, racial um, attack or racial killing or anything like that. It was just from a disease. But nevertheless, it had a profound impact on her. Though traumatic, it might have even given her a fervor and a determination to do something great in the world. Um, she eventually started writing for um, Black-owned newspapers. Um, she wanted as many people as possible to know what was being done to her people. And like I said, as a result of her attempts to get the word out. She was attacked, she was threatened, her family was threatened. Um, they destroyed her, her um, the office that she worked in, they destroyed her, her place of work, a mob attacked and destroyed her newspaper office and presses. But she continued to fight the good fight. Um, like I said, she, this was another selfless act. Her entire life was, was dedicated to informing the world not only informing the nation, but also the world at large. She was outspoken regarding her beliefs. She spoke out as well as wrote about the injustices of our people. Even those things pertaining to women's voting rights, women's voting rights, she was a big proponent for women's voting rights. Um, so she spoke out about that as well. She traveled nationally and internationally giving lectures and telling the world what she had come to find out in her, um, in her journalism career. So I'm thankful for people like Ida B. Wells. And I didn't go into depth of some of their stories. If you really wanna read up on these people, they have a whole lot more going on in their stories that I hadn't even scratched the surface on. I'm just giving you a little taste of what they did. Just a little um, nugget about what their life was about and what they were um, 
committed to doing for our race and for our culture. So this, the, the work that they did to stop segregation, to bring about equal rights for, for people of color um, with white people in this, in this country and around the world, we are still reaping the benefits of their efforts. There's a song that I love by B.B. Um, <clears throat> Winans called In Harm's Way. Um, part of the song is talking about something else, but there's a stanza in there that says something so profound and it reminds me of people like these who sacrifice um, their very lives, sacrifice their time, their energy, and everything in the name of love and in the, in the name of um, making our world and our society better. So the part of the song that I like says, in wanting to save me in order to save the day. Because of love, you placed yourself in harm's way. It's truly beyond me. Left without a word to say, what, ki what kind of love would place itself in harm's way? What kind of love would place itself in harm's way? That says it so clearly right there. I mean, that's a perfect description of people like these who commit selfless acts in the name of love and in the name of giving back to humanity. They have such a, a, a generous spirit, a generous heart about themselves where they just want to see the world a better place. And I think it behooves all of us to take on that kind of um, attitude, that kind of mindset, that kind of role. Um, you may not be willing to lay your life down, but just you don't have to literally die, but being willing to uh, sacrifice something give up something or do a little extra than you normally would. Um, sacrifice your time, sacrifice something, your money, whatever it is that you can do to give back to uh, humanity for the sake of love, for the sake of God, for a great cause that's gonna make this world a better place. So that's what this podcast, once again, that's what this podcast is all about. I'm trying to highlight some great African-Americans who did just that. We are still reaping the benefits of their efforts. Um, you know, if not for them, we wouldn't be able to vote. We wouldn't have a voice in society. We wouldn't be able to go to schools at any school in the world as long as we um, do work hard. We can do anything in this world. I look at people like Barack Obama, who's, who was president, the very first black president of the United States. That would not have been possible without the labor of people like, uh, like um, Houston, Charles Hamilton Houston, Ida B. Wells, John Lewis, Dr. King, Rosa Parks, Claudette Coven, all these people who took a stand. And it only takes one of us to do something like this. I know there is power in numbers, but listen, one of us can make a huge difference in the world. As long as you're dedicated, as long as you're passionate, as long as you do what it takes, as long as you have the courage to forge ahead, you can make a difference. And it's not always about fighting. You don't always have to be fighting something to, do, to, to make an impact. You can be just, just loving people so that one day somebody can, will say, so-and-so was here. Put your name there. Melanie was here. Dr. King was here. Amelia Boynton Robinson was here. John Lewis was here. Ida B. Wells was here. Charles Hamilton Houston was here. Claudette Colvin was here. I know we like to, to highlight our own races, especially black people, because we've had a hard time in this nation. We've had a hard time. And for many years, we were discriminated against. And we're still fighting some injustices right now. 
And so we like to highlight our own and be proud of the work that some of us are doing. And I hope you're doing some work that you're proud of too. Um, but that does not uh, negate and, and does not put off other races who also are part of this world. It's just giving honor where honor is due. It's just highlighting those um, who made a difference for us. Our lives are better because of them. So I hope you can celebrate with me as well. Celebrate the cultures that are making an impact in the world for all of us. There are some young people today that are doing great works in the world as well. Um, but I just, I just uh, wanted to highlight some of these um, forerunners and some of the older generation that came before us who, are, who made a huge impact that we are still reaping all these years later. It's 2024 and we're still reaping the benefits of what they did, the stands that they took. We're still um, blessed by those efforts. So don't think that your small effort does not have a rippled effect. That Claudette Colvin had no idea that just refusing to get up off that bus, Montgomery, Alabama, all those years ago, would catapult her into American history that would ultimately help bring about the ministry and the work of Dr. King, and that will ultimately, ultimately bring about desegregation of the public bus systems. I know we got cars and things like that, but back then a lot of people traveled by bus. It took small steps. All right, I hope you got something out of this podcast episode today. I hope uh, you got some knowledge out of that. Happy Black History Month. Happy Love Month. Pass it on. God bless you all. Bye-bye. If you'd like to be featured on this podcast, please hit me up at Melanie D, the author at yahoo.com. That's Melanie D, the letter D, the author at yahoo.com or on my website at www.melaniedtheauthor.com. Thank you so much for listening. Have a beautiful and blessed day.